This is Dr. Tom McGovern of Dr. Doctor, welcoming you to a special podcast-only episode of Dr. Doctor. Recently, I had the privilege of speaking at a conference called Converging Roads in Columbus, Ohio, and the Converging Roads are those of medicine and ethics. And at this conference, there were a number of fellow Catholic Medical Association members who were speaking. One of my roles within the Catholic Medical Association is overseeing our outreach to young members, uh, including medical students and pre-medical students. So I thought I would take advantage of the wisdom of some of my colleagues who were there, particularly in uh, certain primary care specialties, family medicine, pediatrics, internal medicine, psychiatry, obstetrics and gynecology, so that students could learn from them. But anybody who wants to listen can about what they think is the, the best thing about being a doctor in their specialty in, in 2021 and, and what they might do over again uh, in training, knowing what they know now and, and what some of the best advice they have for young up-and-coming physicians. So if you listen with me, I think you have a real treat, some short interviews with each of these five individuals, I think will be quite enjoyable. This is Dr. Tom McGovern, co-host of Dr. Doctor, and first up with me today is Dr. Mike Parker. He's president of the Catholic Medical Association. He's from the Columbus, Ohio area, still works here, helping uh, direct some OB doctors at the hospital system here. He loves uh, things beginning with the word B, uh, bourbon, babies, bees, bagpipes, and I don't know if I missed anything else. Bible. And the Bible. Uh, we're up to five Bs. It was three Bs. He keeps taxing my memory. Mike, uh, welcome. Uh, you know, knowing what you know today as a obstetrician, gynecologist, although you're mostly doing deliveries, right? That's right. Uh, how would you have prepared yourself differently in your medical training, even before residency, than you did? Well, Tom, first, thanks for having me on. And I think the one thing that was lacking in my medical training for me was my faith. And oh. and so, I went through as a secularist, uh, so to speak. Wow. And and if I knowing what I know now about my faith, if I had known it back then, I would have practiced differently when I came out. Uh, so, uh, what would you insert into your lifestyle as a pre med or medical student that wasn't there? My wife. <laughs> um, she, she, I, I give her credit for bringing me back to the faith. But, you know, when I was in medical school, um, we didn't have computers. We didn't have, you know, we did all of our notes. We typed them out and shared them that way. But the one thing that, uh, you know, right now is build a routine, you know, and, and, and around that build in some time for prayer and your faith development. Okay. Uh, so develop as many things that you can do on autopilot and do what's important. You know, realize, you know, yeah, it's great to go out and have fun and it's great to, you know, do a lot of things that you want to do. But this is a time where you're developing your skills as a physician, but not only as a physician, but as a human physician and the two parts that go with that, the spiritual and the physical. And so having a good basis in your faith and then setting up routines that are going to incorporate that into your life so that you can kind of put them on an autopilot so that they're always there and they're gonna stay with you for the rest of your, your career. But that will make it easier for you to accomplish great things within your studies and within the, take, the uh, practice of medicine. 
and I think that's a principle that uh, many of our friends in the in the CMA use. So I, I think the next uh, question gets up to something that's a uh, something you quote often. So what's the best aspect of being a doctor, particularly an OB doctor, in 2021 in the United States of America? For me personally, it's being a witness to life, you know, and to also be able to provide a different perspective uh, from uh, a Catholic faith and pro-life perspective on what's going on in society today. The the, the residents and, and other doctors who are being trained right now get put into a one-track thought process of, of the contraception and abortion mentality, and they're not able to think outside the box sometimes as to what am I going to do if I meet a lady who doesn't believe in these things or, or, or if I has a different viewpoint than I do? How am I going to treat these people? And they often look at that with um, condescension or disgust when they have to deal with those type of people. Yes. And so I can give them, you know, an alternative perspective of, you know, wait a minute, you're missing something here. There's more to this person than just what you read in a book or you read in a technical bulletin. Um, this person has a soul. This person has uh, a belief system that uh, may be contrary to yours, but that doesn't negate your responsibility to take care of them. And you have to meet them where they are, so to speak. Another thing, you know, what is just one, and you probably have many, pearl of wisdom you've learned to employ when having conversations with colleagues who disagree with you about a moral topic? Ask questions. Such as, can you give an example? Uh, sure. Why do you think this is the best thing for them? Okay. Um, why do you prescribe birth control pills to a woman who has highly, you know, pre-cancer on their cervix? You know, um, why is your first, uh, your first thought in this process to prescribe birth control pills? to control bleeding or to any do anything else. Don't you, you know, asking questions to get them to think about what they're doing and whether it's the right thing to do in this situation. And if I can, if I can, if we have time, I'll, I'll give an example. Go ahead. So uh, I, I was staffing a, a resident clinic and we had a patient come in with polycystic ovarian syndrome and who had, uh, you know, side effects to the oral contraceptive pills and didn't want to be on them anymore. And it may not be good for them because they may be higher risk for developing blood clots. So we had this discussion and I was able to lead them on a 30 minute conversation of how else can we treat these women that may be more in tune with restoring them back to a normal state of health rather than persisting in, in, in the, they, they, they don't look at it as systems approach, which, sure. which is I, I think the best way to look at medicine. They look at it from the targeted approach of it. it's just, just yes. this. Got it. That, that's an excellent point, asking questions, because they usually don't want to listen to us anyway, but they have to listen to themselves. Well, and if you ask questions, eventually you, you can get to the point where they may see the fallacy in their, in their argument. Yes, exactly. They'll see their own dissonance. And, and the final question, and this was posed by a pre-medical student, or a, a first-year medical student who's now on our uh, pre-med outreach co subcommittee. What do you say to students going through the training that is so grueling when they ask themselves, is this really worth it? Well, I think you needed to ask that question four years before, you know, because you went through four years of grueling medicine, but you also have to look at why you're in medicine. And we, you know, when, when we were training, it, there was lucrative, 
you know, you could get remuneration for what mm-hmm. you were doing. And there was also prestige associated with it. Many of those things are gone now. Yeah. So especially if, after the pandemic. <laughs> especially especially after the pandemic. And and it's it is becoming more of a uh, medicine is an art that's trying to be treated like a business. Um, and so, one, you're going to have to realize that most of your struggles are not going to be with the care of patients, but with the management of medicine. And so you're going to have to separate that out or find creative ways to work within the system to provide the care that you want. So define the care that you want to provide. Define what medicine looks like to you and follow that path. You do not have to follow the path that everybody sets forward for you. You can be a pioneer. You can be a, a creative trendsetter uh, to provide a, I think what most patients are looking for is they're looking for doctors who will listen to them. And doctors receive greater satisfaction and patients have higher satisfaction scores if they feel that they're listened to. I think you know this, that 90% of medicine can be solved in the confessional or in the church or something <laughs> like that. You know, and, and, and the reason people come to see you as a physician is they're afraid. Uh, there's something wrong with them. They, they don't know what it is, and they want some answers. They want your expertise. So define what your win is as a doctor, how you want to practice what you want to be. Be true and consistent to that and develop yourself in that way. Okay, and then find ways to make it work for you to overcome the other obstacles that you're going to face, such as the financial and the business aspects of it. Mike Parker, thanks for giving this wisdom. I know that our pre-med students and our med students love hearing advice from people who are at the front lines. God bless you and your work. Thanks, Tom. Great to be with you again. This is Dr. Tom McGovern from Dr. Doctor with me today. Dr. Paul Day, family physician, Uh, hailing from Cincinnati, Ohio, active in the guild there, active at a national level at the CMA, heading with his wife, the Young Physician in Practice group and outreach. He was uh, one of the earliest members of the uh, student section of the CMA, and I believe he and his wife were the first uh, double doctor marriage among (laughs) CMA medical students. Paul and I are in Columbus, Ohio. Paul, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you for having me, Tom. So, Looking at what medical students might benefit from, you're a family physician. So what's the best aspect of being a family physician in 2021 in the United States of America? Oh, great question. So, you know, I like to think that there's very few people and especially even few physicians who can end their day saying they do such a kind of splendid variety of things. Sometimes I'll kind of look back on the day and even a, uh, a practice my sister taught me, which is, just write down one blessing ah. from your day so that you ended on a positive note, even if it was a challenging day. And sometimes I'll look through and say, wow, today I did a shave biopsy. Um, I did a well child check and talked to parents about immunizations. Um, I helped someone's knee pain with an injection. I diagnosed atrial fibrillation and treated some chronic conditions and then maybe had a difficult conversation about dementia with an elderly patient and wow. their caregiver. And that's incredible. You know, that it's. Is. Uh, and so I think just the, the diversity of, of what you see, but also the people you encounter, um, it really enriches your lives. Because while, while it's important to see a, a diverse things, amount of things medically that help you kind of yes. stay on your game, it's also that all those different personalities and those humans you come into contact with that really kind of broaden my world. That that's a great answer. Yeah, now we have students signing up for family practice again. <laughs> um, 
So it's a challenge in 2021. Often uh, medicine's a, an ethical minefield. And students want to know practical tips for how to navigate that minefield. So what's one pearl of wisdom you have learned in your own life that helps you in conversations with colleagues or with even you know, attendings who might have been uh, over you? Uh, what's the pearl of wisdom in having those discussions successfully? Yes, this is something I wish I had kind of realized more fully as a, even as a student or resident, and that is when these things come up that it really has to be about the patient and not about you. Because I think often the conversation starts off, why don't you do that or why won't right. Catholics do that? Yes. And while we can arrive at the same answer, the way that we explain it and the reasoning for it can be completely different. So an example might be if someone's coming in seeking something that they want that I don't feel I can give them, I don't want to say uh, what I like to call like playing the Catholic card. Yes. Um, I really want to tell them here is here are some other options or here are some things that we can do, but here's why I don't think what you want is in your best interest. Not because I'm Catholic, I can't do that. So if someone is asking for uh, a referral for an abortion for a pregnancy they weren't expecting. So you're giving the reason for the Catholic position without even saying this is the Catholic position. Precisely, right, because as we know, you know, the beautiful uh, marriage between... Uh, Faith our, and reason. Exactly. So we can provide that reasoning, and even if the patient disagrees or our colleagues disagree, they can at least recognize, hey, maybe he's a little different, but he's coming at it as a perspective of he really thinks this is what's best for the patient. He's not kind of hiding behind something. That's an excellent and helpful point. If you could recommend only one practice that current pre-med or medical students incorporate in their life, what would it be and why? Oh yes, I would say to nourish relationships. Mm. Because in training, you could always be studying. Yes. <laughs> and while it's important to be, we always you know, talk about being excellent in what we do, and that is of utmost importance. Um, but sometimes we can cause relationships that are important to suffer, and whether that's, of course, our spiritual life, but also family members um, and the people that we're supposed to be close to, we're not an island. And if we don't nurture those relationships, we don't have people to lean on when we are in need, when we're humans and suffering. And then finally, we got a question from one of the med students working. We're both on the Young Member Advisory Committee. Well, one of the newest members on one of the subcommittees heard about what we were doing today. And they, so I've been asking everyone this question. When we are stuck in the midst of what seems like an overwhelming amount of knowledge and skills we're learning in pre-medical training and especially medical school, the question, is it worth it, comes to mind. Is it worth it to go through all of this to become a doctor? How would you answer those students? Yes, unequivocally yes and I think it's important to to have a why when you're going through the training and it has to be a concrete why mm -hmm. um, it can't be kind of a nebulous because I want to help people while that's good and important and noble <laughs> right. um, it has to be a very concrete why um, there's actually a an analogy almost so there's the this Exodus 90 a lot of people yes. have heard of yes. and um, and when you're doing all these, it's a, uh, for people who don't know very briefly, you're doing a lot of disciplines mm -hmm. um, to try to grow in grace. But the disciplines can be challenging, so they ask you to come up with a why. Yes. And just like anything else, like in medical training, when things are difficult, but you're doing it for a good reason, you have to have a concrete why that you can fall on. And that's, that's going to look different for everyone, but 
I would encourage people to literally write it down so that when they're having those hard days, oh. they have to open up and they have to read their why. And when the why is strong enough as it should be, it will get you through those moments. That's good advice. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Paul Day, Family Practice, Cincinnati, Ohio. This is Dr. Tom McGovern of Dr. Doctor coming to you recorded live from Columbus, Ohio with uh, Dr. Greg Burke. Greg is an internist, chief patient experience officer at Geisinger Medical Center, Danville, PA. Uh, he also is medical director for a nursing home and a rehab hospital. And he also is co-chair of the CMA Ethics Committee. And uh, Greg is going to help share some wisdom with you students. Thanks for being here, Greg. Thanks, Tom. First question. Knowing what you know now about your practice as an internist and even as a hospital administrator, how would you have prepared yourself differently in your training than you did? I mean, that's a great question. I thought about that. You know, my training was pretty good in terms of, I think, the science of medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish I had maybe a little bit deeper knowledge of the faith uh, when I was a medical student, although it was there. I, my uh, Roommate and I made a, a pact uh, one year and, and went to Mass every day together throughout Lent. He eventually became a deacon, wow, uh, pulmonary critical care doc, and a CMA member. That's impressive. Um, but um, I think it's really the depth of the faith that changes the way one looks at medical practice. And you can't do that all in four years of medical school. But no. be open to it is, I guess, my advice. So then I'm leapfrogging yeah. to what is usually my fourth question, but I'll ask it yeah. now. So what would be one thing that you would recommend students in pre-medicine mm -hmm. or medical school do now that they might not be doing that would probably be the highest yield for them being the best Catholic physicians they could be? I think it would be seeking out a formal connection with the church, whether it's something in the parish, uh, a formal activity or group, maybe the men's group, or spiritual direction, or develop a pastoral relationship you know, with the, the parish priest in terms of being, well, I'm a medical student. Maybe I need to inform you of some things I've learned about medical ethics. Maybe you could direct me in some spiritual things. So developing a more formal connection to the church. You know, It's one thing, and it's great to, to go to Mass and be part yes. of the sacramental life of the church, but some, somehow formalize that relationship a with relationship. your parishship, parish, or if there's, a, if there's a Catholic, like a Newman Society, or somewhere where you, it's a more formalized thing where you have some there's a show-up time, like 8 o'clock on Sunday nights yes. with the men's group, outside of your work in medicine. Hard to make that commitment, but it's probably, probably worth fundamental, it. sure. What's the best aspect of being an internist in the United States in 2021? I would think two things come to mind. One is the, the breadth of what you see. So uh, I was always sort of had a generalist heart. I loved all my rotations and kind of saw myself doing everything. I never wanted to be a proceduralist like you, Tom, because I was always afraid I'd hurt somebody. So I, I'm like, wait, I don't make this term. I'm a cognitivist. But, uh, uh, I'd rather cogitate on medical issues than ever. You know, and I did okay with procedures. Rather use okay your head than surgery. your hands. I was, I was, I think there truly was a fear that I would like hurt somebody, sure. or do something wrong. I'd rather make the right diagnosis in my head than that. wasn't I wasn't afraid. I did what I had to do. I sewed this and that, and put lines in and all that. But it was, I didn't get joy from that. I got more fear. Yes. Uh, so I said, well, this is where I want to be. And then what attracted me to general internal medicine was that there wasn't a disease state that I didn't feel I owned it. So whether it's cancer, malignancy, heart disease, lung disease, and, and even into the specialty level, pulmonary fibrosis, or what are the, what's the latest treatments for prostate cancer? I felt like I owned it all. Wow. So it kept me um, intellectually curious and you there's know, always more. Always a little bit more. And, and there was nothing outside of my venue 
that I felt like I should have known something about. And to this day, that's still uh, something I enjoy about medicine. I see a new disease, and that's something I learned about that. Well, one of the other areas yep. you rock is medical ethics. And uh, this is of great concern for our students, especially if they come across colleagues or um, professors, attendings, who disagree with them on something morally. So what would be one pearl of wisdom you could recommend that they can engage when having a conversation with someone who disagrees with them about something medically and morally related? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I, you know, um, I always like the, the, the thoughts of Francis de Sales that you um, build on friendship first. So trying at, at the earliest points to not be antagonistic. Now that can be difficult as a student because of the power differential, yes. the hierarchy, and he's the boss and I'm just a student. I can't really confront him. But there's still a way you can probably hold to your own uh, principles uh, without being antagonistic or overly defensive. And then I've, I've made this point many times is to have credibility in whatever you're doing. If you're a medical student, be the best medical student on yes. that rotation. Be engaged. Uh, answer questions. Study what they ask you to study. Be first in line, you know, when rounds begin. And so then when that moment comes of disagreement, at least everybody around you know, so well, he's a pretty darn good you know, yes. it's going to be a pretty good doctor, so maybe we should listen to what he has to say on this ethical issue. That's been my biggest thing, is that you have to have credibility among your colleagues in the secular phase of your career. Exactly. I, I second that heartily. And the final question, yeah. uh, and this was brought up recently by one of our first-year med students in the CMA. You know, like we did, they work really hard for four years. Mm -hmm. They're slogging. Sometimes they feel like they're just down in the mire, and they ask themselves the question, is this worth it? Is it really worth it to go through all this training to become a doctor someday? How would you answer that for Yes, them? that's an easy answer, yes. I sometimes think back, well, what else would I do? And sometimes I think, well, I'd like to be a college professor. I kind of <laughs> like the law. Um, there's a couple ways of looking at this. One is what I know I wouldn't be good at and, and some of the hard work that was out there. So I'm you know, the grand, grandson of a, of a coal miner ah. in Pennsylvania. And I thought, well, being in a cramped spot for eight hours a day in, you know, in the dark uh, with the chance of being killed, you know, higher than most people, uh, yes. you know, I said, well, at least I'm not going into a coal mine. So whatever I do, this is pretty good. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 you know, but what else, what other areas do you get to interact with so many people, the critical issues of life? where you get to be a teacher, if that's what turns you on, if you get to be a master of knowledge, if that turns mm -hmm. you on, if you wanna be a master of compassion and sharing compassion. All of those things are possible in medicine, and actually you can do all of them simultaneously. There's very few other careers that will ever offer you that. And as I'm getting older, um, and I can't fall asleep, sometimes <laughs> as I lay there, I just start thinking about everything I've seen in those years of medical yes. practice, and what a unique experience I've had. You know, being at you know the bedside with families and the gratitude that they've shown, or even the mistakes that I've made, and the regrets, you know, and 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 the sense of failure when you don't make the right diagnosis. All of that I've learned and said, oh my gosh, what a very rich life. Um, so that uh, yes, stick with it. Uh, if you're called to this, and there is that sense of calling, it won't let you down once you get through the hardest parts. Oh, what profoundly practical wisdom. Thank you, Greg, for being Thank with us. Thank you so much, Tom. Next up, we have with us Dr. Cynthia Hunt, triple boarded internal medicine, pediatrics, and psychiatry, working mainly in the psychiatric realm now, both virtually across the country as well as in Northern California, I guess it's called now. Uh, Cindy, you have life experiences that can help our medical students. So the first thing I want to ask you is knowing what you know now about the practice of psychiatry, 
how would you have prepared yourself differently in your training during your pre-med, during your med school years than you did? So Tom, I've been reflecting on this question and realizing that in many ways, I'm not sure of the answer. Uh, I do believe that God led me through internal medicine, pediatrics, and then eventually into psychiatry. I was blessed to be at a Jesuit university, Loyola University mm-hmm. for medical school Chicago. in Chicago. And and through that, I uh, was able to also do my med-peds residency there. So the Catholic realm was there. Ah. And again, quite a privilege. In undergraduate work at UC Davis, I was able to participate in a Newman Center that was very thriving. Uh, So my work in psychiatry, as I think back, it was a journey. I don't think I was supposed to go into psychiatry sooner. I think maybe God Ah, knew I needed to get more ready for that. Sure. (laughs) Um, So what I would say at this point is that in my psychiatry training, it was not uh, Catholic-based. I have have and had a spiritual director and that helped Uh, but I think in retrospect I wish I had been part of the Catholic Medical Association yes I more like-minded people around you that's right Uh, definitely in my early practice in internal medicine and pediatrics and then in my residency in psychiatry uh, and I learned I don't know why this was but I had not heard about the Catholic Medical Mm -hmm. Association until uh, early uh, in my psychiatry practice or, or late late in my internal medicine pediatric so practice. So role models, mentors, and uh, even colleagues with like-minded beliefs. Oh, huge. So mm-hmm. what's the best aspect of being a psychiatrist in 2021 United States of America? I have to say there, I feel like God has placed me in a niche that feels right mm-hmm. for me. Uh, even in my med-peds days, I loved patient care, mm-hmm. running to ER and <laughs> ICU and, and the challenge that was, but spending more time with patients and mm. meeting them in their emotional and spiritual state as well as physical state. So in 2021 in particular, with the unfortunate COVID-19 crisis, being in psychiatry has... Ah been amazingly um, a privilege because so many people in their fear and anxiety are willing to go deep fast and yes yes and to be able to finally get the help that maybe they needed before Uh, there's been so many tragedies uh, and on the on the positive side, even though there's not a lot of positive about COVID nineteen, <laughs> the shutdowns allowed some people to really reflect more and to realize, you know what, I need to reorganize my priorities. And so, in psychiatry, I've been able to help them with their journey, uh, both in the crisis areas and also in natural understanding. So faster progress with more people. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Looking for pearls of wisdom for our students. And what is one that you have learned to employ to have successful conversations with people, especially colleagues who might disagree with you about something morally in the realm of medicine? A pearl would be to always listen to the Holy Spirit as, as one is talking to a colleague and to reflect before answering to try my best to understand where the colleague is coming from, to really listen first, 
and then to gently plant a seed. Uh, because many times colleagues or even patients are so f far from where maybe I'd like them to be or maybe I think the Lord would like them to be, uh, but truly to be present to where they are with the compassion and, and try to be uh, present as Jesus might be present uh, to the best of my ability. So it sounds like the win is not with the uh, the, the question or the idea or the belief, the win is with the relationship being developed because you've taken interest with them as a person. That's correct. That's correct. If you mm. could recommend only one thing that you think all pre-medical or medical students should do in their training to be the best Catholic physicians or nurses they can be, what would it be? Well, first of all, to join the CMA if they have not already. <laughs> Very good. Uh, secondly, to really establish a strong prayer life as much as they can, to include Holy Hour if they can, um, and frequent reception of the sacraments, and to try to obtain a spiritual director. Ah, all mm -hmm. excellent Early advice. On. Early on. And this on. question just came mm -hmm. in yesterday from one of our first-year med students working in the CMA, and that is, he finds himself struggling in the midst of hours and hours of work and years ahead of him. How do you answer the question that students like him ask themselves, is it worth it? Is all this work to become a doctor worth it? Absolutely. I would do it again. <clears throat> I know that there are some colleagues who uh, sadly have become burnt out, um, yes. Catholic or non-Catholic. Uh, but uh, I would also say when I reflect on what would I do differently, actually I would work on balance a little better. Mm. And I think what I would say to that pre-med student or med student is, as difficult as it may be, try to find ways to find balance to care for yourself, for, your, for the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Dr. Cynthia Hunt, thank you for these pearls of wisdom for our medical students, and God bless you in your work. Thank you, and you talk too, Tom. We next get to interview the inimitable Ashley K. Fernandez, MD, PhD, double doctor, pediatrics and ethics at The Ohio State University. We're actually in the stomping grounds, Columbus, Ohio. Ashley, thanks for being with us on Dr. Doctor and our medical students and pre-med students. Thanks for having me. So, off the bat, knowing what you know about your practice as a pediatrician today, and I guess as an ethicist, how would you have prepared yourself differently in your training than you did? I think that's a great question. It's something that Obviously, you can only think about or reflect on in hindsight. I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is I would have been more spiritually prepared, ah. truthfully. I mean, I've always tried to the best of my ability to study hard for exams and to um, do the kind of medical work, clinical work that I feel that I'm called to do, which, which again, is another point, which, you know, the, the, the sort of easy answer is study harder, <laughs> and I wish I had, you know, not goofed around so much. But... I was at a different spiritual place when I was in medical school, especially my first two years. So just a little bit of background, I did two years of my preclinical work, and I took five years off to study philosophy, first at Hopkins and then at Georgetown. Oh. Then I came back and finished medical school and went to residency. Was this part of the plan, or did it change during your preclinical years? No, it was part of the plan. So okay. when I came into medical school, Ohio State told me, I told them that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to get a PhD in philosophy and ethics. And at that time, the rules were a little bit different. They said they didn't offer that. So they said, you can apply and go wherever you want. And we'll give you academic leave. So that's what happened. And in my, just spiritually, I just wasn't where I am certainly today. 
And I think having that grounding earlier would have been really beneficial in a lot of ways in my personal behavior, also in my study habits. And I also think it's sort of like, um, you know, imagine yourself at some, students can relate to this, but imagine yourself <laughs> at some amazing buffet yes, um, with the most beautiful food laid out and you're kind of late to the table. Um, so you- So what should the students today feast on at the buffet that you wish you had? Well, I think developing silent time, ah. quiet prayer, even for just five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, or offering that study period up to God. Mm. Um, it, you know, part of it is us, I think, and part of it is Christ reaching for us. And so, but we have to keep on our journey. And then Christ meets us in the other, you know, the other way. So I think developing that time, just the pause, that silent time um, to allow God to come into our lives. Everybody can spare five minutes or 10 minutes to do that. We, we need to. It, it's not a cost. It's an investment. Absolutely. Ashley, what's the best aspect of being a pediatrician in the United States in 2021? Again, I'm going to give you the easy answer. I think it's um, interacting with children. For me, it's, and this is one thing I will say, if, if I could say that I've done any good as a physician, it's that I can honestly say that I've never walked into a room and thought of one of my patients as anything less than a child of God. Wow. Ever. That's so, impressive. And that it's really more impressive that my, that, you know, I, that my parents brought me up in the Catholic faith <laughs> yes. and were able to inculcate those values in me and that that's what I try to intentionally think of when I go into a room. And so no matter how bad a family might be or how you know frustrated or angry they might be at us, um, that's one thing I can say. It's, it's a real gift of the Catholic Church. We sometimes don't think about it consciously, but I think the fact what distinguishes us from secular physicians is that every time we walk into a room there is no chance that that person that you're going to encounter is anything less than a child of God, anything le has anything less than the value of Christ himself. And for me, practicing pediatrics, like the best thing about it is that I get to interface with this creation of God and sometimes a hurting creation of God, sometimes a vulnerable creation of God. But I get this chance, 15 minutes, um, to try to heal this person. And I mean, when you think about it that way, and, and I've, you know, some of my med students in the past have heard me say this, but I, I really believe that as a Catholic physician, you can have hard days in medicine. Yes. But you can never have bad days because you are, if you are called to affirm the dignity of that person, that's an absolute good. That's something that at the end of a very, very hard day, you can look back on it. And you can say, you know what? That was a hard day for me, but I saw that child or that person, that patient as a person of God. That can't be taken away. That can't, that's something that doesn't go into the ether. That's an absolutely positively good thing. And so I would just say that that's it. Is I think that's the joy of being a Catholic physician. That's beautiful. Seeing reality as it is, not as how other people think that's right. it is. That's right. Pearls of wisdom are something that uh, students often want. 
in a challenging area where they really need them today are moral discussions. What is one pearl of wisdom you can recommend to med students when they come up against a colleague or a professor who disagrees with them on a moral subject? It's a good, another excellent question, but then that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I, I guess I would say to, to utilize the, the two virtues that every great physician must have, which is humility and integrity. So let me say the first one is when you discuss anything with someone who disagrees with you, even if you're sure of yourself, mm -hmm. it's that humility that always forces us to take the time to listen. Um, maybe there's an, there's an argument you hadn't heard. Maybe there's a position you hadn't considered. Um, maybe there's you're listening for something else. A person who's very animated against sexual abstinence, for example, angry that you take that position or or very angry, unduly angry about your position on abortion, we should take the time to listen in humility. Is there something we're missing about that person? Hmm. Is this pushing a button with that person for a reason? So make it relational instead of um, rational argument. Yes, yeah, I think that's so important. Humility allows you to do that because it takes you out of the purely rational realm. You're not trying to win an argument you're trying to build a relationship. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's through, that's right, That's it's through that um, relational element. I mean, John Paul, the same Pope, John Paul II really felt that this was the part of moral, ex, uh, moral the moral life that we miss, um, especially in the West, yes. is this experiential element. Philosophy in Eastern Europe, where he studied, dealt much more with this relational element of the moral yes. life. And it is those two sources, it's reason and experience that draw people toward the truth. So it doesn't do you any good to have all the arguments um, if you can't have a relationship with that person. Humility allows you to do that. And I think the second thing when you disagree with someone is to always just be able to maintain your integrity. Sometimes we get in these situations where we, we just want to look like we're going along, um, which is a violation of our integrity, or to back down from something you know is right or to do something that you know is wrong. What's a pithy definition of integrity here? Um, integrity is the ability, is I suppose I would say, um, acting consistently on what you know to be true. Very good. Ashley, if you could recommend just one thing that pre-medical students or medical students could do now that they're not doing to be better doctors in the future, what would it be? You've mentioned silence. Yeah, I think, I think I would just say to develop in any way you wish that relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that is by far the most important, to be able to survive as a Catholic in a secular or sometimes a secularist medical world takes something supernatural. You can't think your way out of it. You can't will your way out of it. You can't, you know, practice medicine and get out of it on its own, to really be true to yourself as a Catholic Christian, you have to um, pray and develop that relationship with Jesus Christ. And whether that's through silent meditation, whether that's through the rosary, whether that's through traditional Catholic prayers or praise and worship music um, or apps. I mean, I use an app called Halo, uh, or Halo, Halo is what it's called, <laughs> Halo. And, and this app has, you know, has daily meditations that are five or 10 or 15 minutes. It has silence time. It has time with the saints, 
Um, but whatever your way, develop that relationship with Jesus Christ, and um, that will make you a better physician. Last question. You know, these students, like we did, they put in a lot of years for this goal of being a physician, and sometimes stuck in the mire of the hard work, they ask themselves this question, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to go through all this to be a doctor? How would you answer that? I would say definitely. It is worth it. It, The reward of being able to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ as a healer, in whatever small way, in whatever imperfect way we do that, is an incredible reward. And as I alluded to earlier, to just think that there are so many people in the world who want to be doctors. You've been given this gift your whole life, everything up to this point has come to this moment where you can finally look at your hands. I mean, sometimes I tell students to do this, physically look at your hands, like make your eyeballs, look <laughs> at your hands for a second and say, these are the hands, same hands that I had when I was a baby. and the same hands that first <laughs> held a pencil or a crayon when you were in preschool. These hands have the ability now to be able to heal someone who is hurting. And, and it's this mirror, you are acting like Jesus Christ as the healer, but your patient is the suffering Christ. And when you think about it that way, there's no job like that in the world. No, there's, um, there's no job like that in the world, and, and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Ashley, wonderful tidbits for our listeners. Thanks for being with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this special podcast-only episode of Dr. Doctor. And if you have suggestions for other ones, please leave a comment at our website, drdoctor.org.org. Uh, and our excellent producer and all-around help, Andrea, will uh, let us know what you recommend. And uh, maybe we'll pick up on it. Uh, we're always looking for good ideas anywhere at the intersection of faith and medicine. Uh, please stay tuned for your uh, next dose of Dr. Doctor. We don't want to miss you, and God bless you. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.